0: So we're in this series uh, called Presence, Living Connected to God, which, so we have a uh, message planning Slack channel that uh, our teaching team is all part of. That's Pastor Sarah, Pastor Josh, Dave, myself, and uh, so we always have a great discussion and kind of, and, and Josh kind of leads the charge in bringing things to us and, and discussing the next sermon series and what goes into that, and I was very excited when he mentioned Presence, as a possible sermon series, because that word, presence, is actually my word of the year, 2022. And that word is much more timely than I had any clue it would be when I chose that word. That's the funny thing about choosing a word of the year or asking God to help you in an area. He usually gives you ample opportunity for growth. So actually, we had a... uh, uh, earlier this year, a Zoom-only gathering where we talked about Word of the Year. Who was on that Zoom call? Anyone? Anyone in this room? Yeah, so lots and lots of uh, interesting iterations in the life of the church in the 21st century. So on our discussion uh, uh, Slack channel, Message Planning, uh, Josh threw out this this image, which is our sermon series graphic we landed on, which is this beautiful, misty mountains. It kind of makes you it makes you imagine the Lord of the Rings, or the Hobbit, or the misty mountains that are beckoning and calling you forward into this amazing adventure, this, this awesome journey where you're a little Hobbit just in over it, it's your head, and, and you meet all these travelers, and it's scary, and it's terrifying, but it's, it's amazing. And that, none of that's even in my notes, and you're envisioning it. It's, it's awesome. I just finished reading The Hobbit with my, my nine-year-old son, and, and it was towards the very end, the second to last chapter, I just started like crying more than I've cried about anything recently. So I need to explore that. Something about Gandalf showing up and walking alongside Bilbo in the midst of the, 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 the fright and the, the fearful adventure really got into my soul. So that's our sermon series graphic is presence connected with God in these, these ethereal, grandiose moments like on the mountaintop experience. I remember my first uh, time hiking Mount Bierstadt. It's a 14er in Colorado. It means it's over 14,000 feet. And I love that I can say my first time hiking it, which means I've, I've hiked it twice. Uh, but this is my very first 14er. I was with a, a crew of about 14 of us or so, kind of like the Fellowship of the Rings, and I think they had 12. And uh, at the top of Bierstadt, we look over, and someone says, let's cross the Sawtooth to Mount Evans. And there's no official route that way. I've, I've researched it since then. This was back in 2002 that I did this. And when we're at the bottom of that Sawtooth, so we're probably about thirteen five. 13,500 feet, a a blizzard opened up right in front of us, right at eye level. And I did not realize how terrifyingly dangerous that moment was. Uh, I I knew it was scary, but I didn't know just how scary. And it's those types of moments, and and Josh shared about this a couple weeks ago, a moment where you feel simultaneously um, the, the presence of God and his great care for you in that moment, but also you feel so small. And so it's like this this intimate experience with God, yet you feel just tiny. So there's a little bit of awe, intimacy, fear, all wrapped up in one. So needless to say, we made it down safe, and uh, one day I will tackle that sawtooth again. Actually, I think uh, Edward and Paxton have stories about that sawtooth. Side note, talk with them later. So we had that image going, and then then, uh, Dave chimes in and says, well, what about... The mundane, the familiar, like the, the coffee table or the couch, uh, living connected with God in those familiar spaces. Maybe you have some spaces come into mind as well for you, a familiar coffee shop you frequent, or that, that chair in your, in your study that you take naps in and read in, where you connect with God. And all of that, opportunities, invitation to connect with God. A little bit further in that, that uh, Slack thread, Uh, Josh dug up on my Instagram uh, me doing camel pose in yoga class, one of the classes that my wife teaches. And uh, he's like, yeah, maybe this is where you experience the presence of God. Even in yoga class, you can experience the presence of God. So, yeah, that's one of the hats I wear is demystifier of yoga. I wear a lot of hats in our community. So it's true, God's presence is everywhere. We've been talking about this. He is omnipresent. He is always present. But yet there are times when he shows up with greater power and greater relational intimacy in our lives. And there are other times where we just need to become more fully aware that he is already present. A couple weeks ago, Josh taught on the life of Jacob and in his need for awareness of God's presence in his life. So, this morning we're gonna back up a story or two and look at the life of Moses. So, we'll be in Exodus 33. Uh, you're welcome to pull that up, follow along a little bit. Um, and, and as we've talked about, we're, at the end of our time, we're gonna do a commissioning, uh, a celebration, a prayer over, launching people into new seasons. So, commissioning is an, an order or an authorization of a person or an organization to go and do or produce something new. And and Moses faced these commissioning moments throughout his lifetime. Uh, The the older I've gotten, especially as I've turned uh, 40, now I'm 41, I I love the story of Moses because it gives me so much hope that I can keep growing in my friendship with God and my experience of his power and my capacity for leadership. I think Moses story really shows us that. So if you read his story, Exodus two, uh, he kills a guy at age 40 that's coming out of his, his justice for his people, but it kind of comes out wrong. And then he doesn't hear from God in the burning bush until he is 80 years old. So think about that. We, we live in a culture that's like once quick results, like by the, you go to college, people are like, I don't know what I'm going to major in. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. There's a lot of pressure. You've got to figure it out all of a sudden. But here's Moses killing a guy at age 40, which I have not done, so I'm one step ahead of him. <laughs> and then the burning bush incident before all the stuff we read about in his life is, isn't until age 80. So there's hope to, to, have, to develop deep friendship, lifelong friendship with God, and experience power and increased leadership. So he was at this living, connected with God thing for quite a while. So we turn to Exodus 33. Uh, So this is into the wilderness. God's already freed. The burning bush occurred. He freed the people from Egypt. Um, He's already crossed the Red Sea. And here Moses is sort of graduating. Maybe this is PhD level graduate uh, work. Learn by doing. Uh, we, We find Moses At Mount Sinai, where God is calling them, calling him to take his people to the promised land. Exodus 33, 1 to 3 says this Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But, God says, I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Now, that's, that's Old Testament God, right? A lot of us have a lot of cynicism about this stuff, but it's really not. God ends up going with him, as we'll learn. But I think if any of us are fathers in this room, we understand God here. He's like, son, I want you to go do this, but I'm going to stay back because I am upset with you, right? So God's very real. He's a, he's a person that can relate to, he, he has emotion, um, and he has a real relationship with his children. So I, as I really thought about it, I totally understand God calling Moses and his children to go do something. But he's like, I got to take a moment though, I'm about to hurt someone. A couple verses later in Exodus 33, 7, it says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Some of us are just getting excited to go camping, right? We're like, this is what Moses did. This was his practice. His practice was to retreat, to so go pitch a tent outside of the camp. It says, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. So at this time in the story, the pillar of cloud is the presence of God resting where Moses is retreating. Now again, God created everything out of nothing. God is present everywhere. But yet the pillar of cloud, the special manifestation of the presence of God uh, when he speaks with Moses... And it says, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and they worshiped at the entrance of their own tents. So Moses had this practice of retreating before advancing. Retreating, being present, experiencing the presence of God before taking that next step along that journey. Exodus 33:11 says this: "The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend." That, that, that's also Old Testament language around Moses, this man who had killed a guy at 40, got upset in the wilderness, striking rocks you know a couple times. He actually didn't enter the promised land because God was upset with him for losing his uh, temper over and over again. But yet he spoke to God face-to-face as one speaks with a friend. Uh, You can do some digging on here, but I'm pretty sure that he is speaking with Jesus Christ. And so later on in the ministry of Jesus, uh, in Jesus' ministry, when he's on a mountain, he's met by Moses and Elijah, right? It's just kind of like this interaction here. So Moses had this relationship with Jesus as a friend. It says, then Moses would return to the camp, and Moses said to the Lord, So this is the type of relationship he has. God just got done saying, you know what? You need to go do this thing, but I'm not going with you guys. Moses said, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. I want more of you. I want more of this relationship it, I will not let you not go with us on this journey. Then he says, remember, this nation is your people. So the, the image that comes to, to my mind is actually some of my interactions with my nine-year-old son, Maddox. I get, I get, I get amped up. I'm like, I, I want good things for him, but I'm like, this is, this is kind of tough. And I kind of storm out a little. And then my wife, Maris says, get back in there. That is your son. And Moses is interacting with God like this. These are your people. He's reminding God of what is already on God's heart. And I, I just imagine God just smiling, like, yes, Moses is getting it. Moses is understanding. Moses cares about these people. Um, and a couple of verses later, Exodus 33:15, Moses, again, um, he says to God. He says, if your presence does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. I am not going unless you go with us. Let me pray for us and we'll just keep going here. Father, thanks for the morning. Thanks for um, the challenges we face, you know, technical challenges, a little rain, a little lightning. These things, they, they don't disrupt what you have in mind for each and every one of us, whether we're here in person Uh, present in person physically with one another with you or or tuning in online god i pray that you would have your way in our hearts whether we've been walking with you for decades as moses had been or we've we we haven't even trusted christ yet at all that you would help us to um, experience your great presence as you call us into this next season of life in christ's name we pray amen So Moses, pleading with God, if your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not doing it. So I remember the first time I told Maddox to go off the high dive. Maddox is my nine-year-old son. Last summer, I'm like, I know he's going to love this. I know he's going to love it. Hey, Maddox, go off the high dive. You probably know how this story goes, right? At first, I'm sitting there like, no, you got it. Go for it. And I'm just sitting back doing my thing at the pool. And he kind of looks at it, looks at me, shuffles his feet a little bit. But, of course, he comes back. He's not going to do it without me. So he pulls me over with him. It's It's this whole process to get him in the deep end, you know, get him in over his head. Have him jump off the high dive, which I know he'll love, but which is is terrifying for him. So he climbs a few feet, looks down at me. It's like, I'm right here, buddy. You can do it. Gets to the top. Where does he look? Looks down. Make sure I am right by his side. Does he jump off? No. He holds up the whole line, has to come back down, which requires the, the lifeguard... To come join him. And then we have to step aside, right? We have to go have a meeting. We have to go outside the camp, if you will, to the tent to talk about what's about to occur, to say, Son, you can do this. I know you can do it. I'm right here with you. And eventually, uh, it seems like forever to me, he takes that final step, plunges in. He is terrified. And when he emerges, what look is on his face? Sheer delight, joy. Yeah, he, he is so excited. So what's the very next thing he does? Goes straight up that high dive, jumps right off. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm out there uh, doing the lazy, lazy pool thing. You know what I'm talking about at City Park Pool? And I look over and it's Maddox just up and down, over and over again, But he needed that special presence of his father to take that initial jump off the high dive into the deep water in over his head. And in fact, after that experience, it was so fun to watch my son's capacity for enjoyment, capacity to face his fears, but capacity for leadership grow. So what does he do? He starts talking to his close friends, Benji and Sammy Geldart, And he is coaching them. He is there with them. And uh, as the story goes, Sammy went for it, and eventually Benji went for it, and now he is passing on what he has learned, right? That is awesome. It's also a story about leadership. So each and every one in this room, we are leaders. We can exercise leadership um, no matter what, how small or large our sphere of influence is. So that, that's, I love that story of Maddox because that's what God is doing with each and every one of us. You know, he wants to walk alongside us and encourage us to take that next plunge into the next thing he has in store for us. I remember, um, so I was on staff at a, a church prior to Tallgrass Church at New Hope Church for 12, 12 years, actually. And that's the church that Tallgrass Church came out of. Well, we had gone through some challenging uh, transitions in the life of that church through my tenure there. And in 2014, another really difficult season was about to occur where our lead pastor, who is a a close friend of mine, had mentored me for eight years, uh, was getting ready to resign. And no one knew this except for our leadership team at the time. And out of that place of, of fear Desperation for the presence of God in whatever that next task at hand was for me to take on the role of interim pastor of this church, which for me felt like jumping off the high dive into the deep end, I was driven to that tent of meeting, that retreat space. And that was the first time for me that I began the practice of personal retreat uh, to connect with God to make sure I'm not moving on without the presence of God, to plead with God, like, I am not gonna do this unless you go with me. And so I actually found a, um, uh, which Josh introduced the concept of a thin place, a, a, a special place where the distance between heaven and earth are, are it's, it's much smaller and you connect with God there. So there's this place called the Stone Barn, just outside of Minneapolis, Kansas, that somehow Maris and I came across through mentors in our lives uh, in, in 2005, I think is when we first visited this space called the Stone Barn. And as I look back, that space there's a thank you journal, and my name is in that journal more than anyone else's name. And that's not because I this great you know, I lead the charge with spiritual disciplines. It's because of the need for God's presence as I face season after season. So I got out to the stone barn and had this rich time with God so that I could come back and be able to lead with a sense of purpose, connection to God, clarity of, of uh, intention moving forward. And that's, that's a rhythm that I um, have done but needed ever since then. And I'm in a new season now, as many of you know, in, in the life of our merger, Tallgrass Church and the Well Merging, um, I've taken on a part-time role. So I'm experiencing that, uh, that ability to resonate with working multiple jobs and how do I figure this out? And, but yet God's saying, you've got to prioritize, retreat before you advance. So I am right there with you trying to figure out how to make this type of thing happen. So let me ask you all, where where do you need more of God's power and friendship to face the next challenge he has for you? I'm not specifically talking about just developing weekly spiritual disciplines or daily. I'm talking about he is calling you into something that is terrifying that you need, you need him to show up in a special way for you to respond to that call. Maybe you're in over your head with a new job but you can't figure it out. That was me in January. I'll tell you more about that. Maybe you're in over your head. You got a new degree, lots of debt, but no job. Trying to figure that out. Maybe you're in over your head in a marriage that just is not working and you cannot see the path forward and God is calling you into something greater. You're in over your head maybe as a parent with a defiant child and you just can't figure out how to make things work with your child. Or maybe you have a, new, a newborn and you feel way in over your head, and, but God is calling you to, to raise this child, to love him, and, and, and you desperately need God's presence in a special way. Or you're in over your head with an addiction or an unwanted behavior, and God's calling you to deliverance from that, kind of like he called the people of, e- of Israel out of Egypt. But you can't figure out how to shake it. Or you're in over your head with some medical diagnosis and you're exhausted battling for health and you need to retreat with God before you advance. Or maybe you're in over your head deconstructing your faith. And that's kind of a buzzword these days, but there's a lot of reasons out there why people are deconstructing their faith. It could be our our nation's blight of um, racism or the last political cycle or the scandals in the... I mean, we could enumerate all those ways. You're deconstructing your faith and you can't see the path forward to reconstruct your faith. You need to retreat before you advance. So whatever it is, what is God calling you into in this next season where you need his presence in a powerful way and then deepen friendship before you move forward. So as I mentioned, Moses had been at this living connected to God thing a while already. Uh, Remember that experience at the the, the burning bush um, where Moses presumably did not have a deep relationship with God at that time. Moses was an Israelite who grew up in an Egyptian household, very confused about his identity, I'm sure, but yet he was aware. He, he paid attention. Um, there's this great poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. It says, Earth's crammed with heaven. Every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck back blackberries. So Moses, uh, his relationship, his experience of the power of God and friendship of God was growing over time. He experienced the deliverance out of Egypt. He experienced the parting of the Red Sea. You remember that story? So God had already delivered them out of Egypt, but they come up to the Red Sea. So they have the Red Sea in front. They have the Egyptian army behind them. And in the story, it actually says that God did not lead them to the Philistines because that was even more scary. But yet they're in this impossible space. And the, the, the uh, Israelites start complaining, you know, are you bringing us out here to die in the wilderness because there's not enough graves in Egypt, is what they say. So, so Moses is really stuck in a hard place. And so he has experienced where he says to the people, don't be afraid, stand firm. You'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today, just like he did back there, just like he'll do in the future. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And then he raises his staff, so how in the world would Moses think, I think I'll just raise my staff and that's what's gonna happen, right? So there's this, this great uh, book that I'm, I'm gonna refer to um, quite a bit here by, by an author, Ruth Haley Barton. It's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. So as we go here, maybe a practical step for you is to, to try some sort of retreat, maybe a four-hour retreat Maybe a two-day retreat, maybe a 40-day retreat like Moses did and Jesus did. If you figure out how to make that happen, let me know. But in strengthening the soul of your leadership, Ruth Haley Barton says this, The greater that call for decisive action, the more we must be sure we have waited long enough to receive clear direction. This was a rhythm that Moses had learned so well that when the challenges of leadership came, His first response was to be still and wait as he instructed the people at the Red Sea until he recognized God's instruction. So Moses' action emerged from a clear sense of what he had heard from God. So when God's instruction came for the Israelites to move forward and for Moses to lift his staff and stretch out his hand so that the water would divide, it was the exact right thing to do. But it was something he would never thought up on his own. Moses would not have known to do this had he not been orienting himself internally to God and waiting until God's guidance was clear. So that challenge to get off that high dive or to take that next step, um, we won't know what to do unless we're orienting our inner lives to God through retreat. Back to our story, Exodus 33, where God is asking Moses to lead his people into the promised land, and Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not going. The Lord says, Exodus thirty-three fourteen, 14, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So that... My word of the year is presence, and this is the key verse. This is the verse, this is, these are the words I long to hear from God and that he wants me to hear from him. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. So we can face these exhausting challenges God is calling us into, but only if God's presence does indeed go with us and give us rest. So Moses went away to be with God before every scary chapter of his life. Jesus modeled this as well. He went away to be with God before his, his ministry when he was 30 years old or so. Or so he did a 40-day retreat with God before um, going and doing his ministry, right? Um, so, the, in fact, in Luke it says that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit led him into the wilderness. So, God, or Jesus himself submitted to the Spirit's leadership and guidance to retreat with God before advancing for God. And Jesus even experienced smaller retreats. You remember those four hours or so in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22 where it says Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives as his disciples followed him. So this was his normal practice to go retreat with God before advancing for God. And in that space, um, if you remember the story, and if you've not read it, go read it, Luke 22, 39 to 46. He is pleading with God. I don't want the task at hand. I don't want to do it there's any other way please take this cup of your wrath from me but nevertheless not my will but yours and so sure enough Jesus out of his retreat with God he advanced right and he went to the cross where we should have gone but I would share with you that's the only time where someone retreated with God and God's presence didn't go with them where they were called to go. God gave Jesus no rest when he hung on the cross. Remember Christ, and I don't know if Jesus expected that. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So God turned back to his very son in that moment so that he can always be present with us and we can experience his power and friendship. So back to our book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. And as, as we finish up here, I want, I want you to think about what could it look like in my own life to, to experience retreat with God, specifically tied to something God is calling me into, something that feels overwhelming or scary, so Ruth Haley Barton says, times of extended retreat give us a chance to come home to ourselves in God's presence and to bring the realities of our life to God in utter privacy. This is important not only for us, but also for those we serve. Like, I gotta spend time with God so that I can lead and shepherd and benefit you all. She says, then we, uh, when we repress what is real in our life and just keep soldiering on, Does that resonate with anyone? Just keep soldiering on to the next season. We get weary from holding it in, and eventually it leaks out in ways that are damaging to ourselves and to others. But on retreat, there's time and space to attend to what is real in my own life. This allows God to be with me in those places, the joys, the losses, the tears, the questions, the anger, the loneliness. These are not times for problem solving or fixing, because not everything can be solved or fixed. On retreat, we rest in God and wait on him to do what is needed. And eventually, we return to the battle with fresh energy and keener insight. Just one more recent uh, retreat experience that I had. Um, The stone barn, that thin space, was not available to me, so I I booked a 24-hour retreat at St. Benedict's Abbey. So um, this was October 24, 2019. And if you think... Um, oh, I'm not a pastor, I can't show up at an abbey. That would be weird. Just be a Protestant pastor who initiates at a Catholic monastery and says, I wanna show up. That's weird, okay? So we're all in weird together. Um, Yeah, so yeah, once they figured out what I wanted to do, the door was open. So I spent 24 solid hours with the monks at St. Benedict's Abbey. So I ate meals with them, I went to their mass, and then I just had space to sit and be with God. In fact, I took, and this might be a good idea for you to consider, I took one of uh, Ruth Haley Barton's other books, Invitation to Silence and Solitude, with me, and I would just read a chapter, and instead of reading the chapter, turning the page, and going on with the rest of the book, I would actually do the activity she suggested. Imagine that. <laughs> actually reading and saying, okay, now let's put it in practice, and doing it. Um, so that's, that's all I had was that book, a journal, The Monks, Food, and Walks at St. Benedict's Abbey um, near Abilene or in Abilene. So this was uh, six months before COVID hit or so, a year and a half after we planted Tallgrass Church. And this is one of my journal entries. It's, it's, not, it's not super profound, but for me, it's significant. So I just wrote this down. As I lay down and breathe deeply, the phrase that comes to mind for what's needed or why I seem drawn to solitude and silence is relational capacity. That was my word, relational capacity. I get tired of people so quickly. I'm sluggish to want to connect with people deeply, even though I know that is good. I truly do want what's best for people, and I want to make an impact on their lives, but just seem to grow weary so quickly. I know you're calling me into greater relational capacity with you, Father, and with you, Jesus. I want to be relationally available and present. So I I heard God calling me into relational capacity, but it felt like I had nothing to give at that time. Later that day, my journal entry continued, where I sensed Jesus saying to me, if you want to be a shepherd like me, you've got to allow others to love you. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Is that, is that what God, Christ is saying to me? And then I thought about Jesus in that scene where the woman is loving him, washing his feet, and how he received her love. So he himself had needs to, to, to experience relationship and receive love so he could give it out. And that was, that was profound. I would have missed all of that. I would have just continued in weariness and exhaustion and, and pushing off the love that others are trying to give to me. And I'm still struggling with all of that too, but, but wow, how powerful retreat can be with God before advancing. So as we, as we wrap up here, just two considerations. One, um, there is space for a corporate retreat. So we're actually in a season um, as a church, a revisioning period where we have an action team who periodically is kind of getting away to meet with God, meet with one another, hear from God together, to, to think about how can we lead our church, our small tall grass at the Well church, uh, on the mission of God to reach these 80,000 people in Manhattan's surrounding area. So yes, there's a, there's a category for corporate retreat, but you, individually, what is God asking you to do in this next chapter? So, I want to take just a few moments, just two or three minutes, um, to invite you into your own retreat. So, I'd invite you to just close your eyes, and this will lead us into our commissioning gathering. So, this is just a, a two to three minute retreat uh, from the book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership with eyes closed, just presence in this moment, this morning. In the quietness, allow yourself to remember the time when you first began to sense God's call on your life. Maybe it was a moment like Moses when you heard God speak deep into your heart with great clarity. Or perhaps your sense of calling grew in strength and conviction over time. Or maybe that moment is now. You sense God's call on your life for the first time. Remember where you were, what it sounded like, what it felt like, what you said to God. Remember how you resisted, but eventually said yes. Now with that initial experience in mind, ask yourself, what is God saying to me these days about my calling? And as I settle into myself more fully, what am I learning about my calling? I'm uniquely created after all. Is there any place where I am resisting who I am or have lost touch with who I am? Where am I still wrestling with God and needing assurance of his presence with me? And am I willing to say yes again? So we keep our eyes closed. I'll I'll invite Josh to to come on up. Lord, we thank you for the the story of Moses and his great life, um, that he was a friend of God, and that He actually foreshadowed Christ, your Son, who lived a life we could never live and died the death we should die so we can have friendship with you and we can walk in the good works you have for us. I pray for us as we continue our time together and commission those who are taking big steps even now. Christ's name, amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.